I told you last week that for the next number of weeks, we are going to be spending some time parked in the Psalms, looking at what I want to call the repeated themes or the things that, are, that God seems to come back to over and over and over if you go through the Psalms. Now, Psalms is the biggest book in the Bible. It's got 150 chapters to it. And some are really short, and some, Psalm 119, takes you like a day to read. You know, some are really long. Um, and there's these themes that are repeated over and over. And during my sabbatical, what I did is I basically just lived in the Psalms. And I started to notice these themes that I guess I would have maybe known were there before, but they really jumped out at me um, during the two months that I just spent my time in the, in the Psalms. And so I began to just jot down, with no intentions on preaching on them, jot down these repeated themes. And I felt that the Lord you know, wanted me to preach on them, so that's what we're doing. But I want to make a point to the fact that these things happen over and over and over. And this is my point. When you're reading the Bible, which I hope you all do, um, matter of fact, uh, it's the only thing that will you through this chaotic world properly, God's eternal word. But when you're reading the Bible and you see things that are repeated over and over, understand that's not a coincidence. God does that on purpose because he's trying to make a point. And so when you see things that are being repeated oftentimes in Scripture, you need to take notice. And that's what was happening with me. I had my journal, and I kept seeing these themes, so I started jotting them down. I was taking notice of them and going, oh, he's coming back to that same that same idea again here, and start asking this question, God, what are you trying to say to me? Because that's what God, God wants to speak to us through his word. So what's he trying to say to you? And so what we're going to do today is we're going to take notice of another one of the repeated themes that is in the book of Psalms, and it's this for today. And we're answering this question, or sort of, we're filling in the blank. God is, and then filling in the blank um, of these repeated themes. So God for today, God is greater than any of our troubles. God is greater than any of our troubles. Um, now really, this was the first of the repeated themes that I noticed when I was parked in the book of Psalms during my sabbatical. As every day I sat with the Psalms, it, it struck me how often the psalmists were expressing their difficulties and their troubles. How many of the psalms were just them, and I'm, I'm going to use this in a, in a way that you'll understand, they seemed like they were just whining about all the bad things that were going on in their life. And that's where I started with this. We're going to talk about God is greater, but I want to start by saying that there were troubles, that God was greater than their troubles. And when I read the psalms, the thing that jumped out at me was how often these people writing the psalms talked about their problems that over and over, the psalmists, we find them in the book of Psalms, pleading with God, and sometimes it seems like they're even yelling at God because they're having problems. They were sick. They were lonely. They were oppressed. They were depressed. They were scared. They were under attack. And they had all of these different kinds of troubles. And I found as I was looking in the Psalms that they were expressing their problems in some places that I haven't even really noticed them before. I remember particularly when I came to Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalm, the psalm that you're all familiar with, that if you've ever been to any funeral in your life, you've heard. Because every pastor of every Christian church reads Psalm 23 at every funeral because it's a, it's a, it's a shepherd's psalm. It's a psalm of comfort. It's a, it's a psalm that you sometimes see in plaques on the wall and in people's house that we're, we're familiar with. You know, the beginning of it, the Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's the shepherd psalm, the psalm of comfort. That when, This is the truth, that when I am having difficulty in life, I hide in the 23rd psalm. I literally do. I go and I begin to rehearse it. There's been times when I've gone through struggles here as a pastor of the church, and what I've done is I've got up, I've gotten my car, I've driven down to the lakefront, I've walked out on the break wall. On a day of the war, I was calm, and I said, God, you've led me beside quiet waters. Lord, you're the God of peace. You're the God of greatness. And the shepherd psalm is a psalm of comfort. You know, and and as I was reading through the shepherd psalm, one that I can quote because literally I pray it every night of my life when I go to bed. I pray the shepherd psalm in my mind because, it's, because it, it aligns me with truth. And when I was reading this psalm that I'd read so many times before and, and can, can quote from memory so easily, there in the middle of Psalm 23, I saw it again. It says, you prepare a table before me, which is a sign of God's blessing. And in fact, he says, you've prepared a table before me. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup runneth over. He's saying, you just blessed me. But how does he say this? You've prepared a table before me, a table of abundance in the presence of my enemies. You've prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And it really struck me. When David's talking all the time, he always has enemies. This guy's always talking about, these people want to kill me and those people want to kill me. These people have done me wrong. And he's always talking, saying, God, get my enemies. He uses that term a lot. And it just struck me, David had enemies. This righteous man, this man that God had chosen above all other people to lead his people, as you look at his life, he always had enemies. He always had troubles. And it struck me as I thought about that, as I looked at David and thought about what I know about David, that that David, and read his writings, David didn't think that it was strange that he had enemies. He didn't think it was his fault that he had enemies. He didn't think it was that he was out of God's will because he had enemies. He just realized that living life, you'll have enemies. And that got me to thinking about us. It got me to thinking about you. It got me to thinking about me, about us having enemies or about us having problems and difficulties in in our lives, things that seem to fight against us the enemies of our lives. Start thinking about what are those things that fight against us in our church at Portview, sickness and loneliness and maybe disgruntled family members or angry friends. All those things, the things that that I've sat with so many of you and sat with so many people over the years and they've talked to me about the difficulties in their lives. And those are the the enemies. And I realize they're, they're always there, these things that fight against us. And I began to wonder, Why do we so often, as Christians, think it's strange or wrong when we face enemies, when we face difficulties, when we face things that fight against us, troubles? Why, when troubles come, do I, at times, hear Christian people blame God, or they doubt God's love, or they blame themselves, as if the troubles are the result of their own sinfulness or their spiritual weakness, or God's absence. Why? Why is that often the response that, that we as people often have when we have enemies in our life? Well, I think that one of the reasons us Christians struggle at times when problems come is because of some bad teaching, some bad theology that has crept into the church. 
And in a nutshell, this is what the theology says. It says, if you really have faith in God, if you really serve him, then nothing bad ever happens to you. Life is always a blessing. We hear it all the time. It's packaged in all sorts of ways. In the positive, it's packaged like this. If you just have Jesus, then your family will be wonderful and your finances will be blessed that life is just cotton candy and sunshine. Just accept Jesus and everything is wonderful. That's the positive way it's promoted. The problem is that makes a lot of people feel guilty because their life isn't all positive. But that's the message that's preached a lot. That's the positive side. The negative message or the neg- that, that's, that's incorporated in that bad theology is this. That if you do have problems, then somehow you're doing something wrong. Somehow you either lack faith or you're living in sin. Or this is maybe the most common one I hear today. You're just not living according to God's principles. So somehow it's your fault that you have problems. This theology says life is always wonderful. And once you accept Jesus life uh, and live by his principles, that everything goes good. And I would even venture to say this. I believe it is the predominant evangelical theology today. I think it's the most prominent theology preached in evangelical churches today across America. I really do. Now that theology might sound nice. If I do all the right things, which for us that means serving Jesus, then everything will always be wonderful and blessed. In fact, if I ever wanted to just make a million dollars, Somebody want to make a million dollars here? I'll tell you how. Write a book about the seven ways to have a wonderful, trouble-free life in Jesus. Because people will snap them off the bookshelf as fast as you can produce them. Prove it to yourself. Go look at your local Christian bookstore or at Walmart. And look under the, the religious book section. It's all different titles, but they all say the same thing. They're all wrong theology. If you just have Jesus, everything will go good. Life is sunshine and flowers and cotton candy. That's all life is. It's wonderful. You just have a, the greatest life ever if you just serve Jesus. If I wanted to make a million, that's what I do. If I wanted to build a mega church, you know, I want to see Portview become a phenomenal church that impacts this community. It breaks my heart when I see empty seats. It breaks my heart when there's nobody, but when I can have a Sunday where just maybe there's not one lost person in church. But I, I believe God wants to build a great church here that impacts the community through reaching people for Jesus and making disciples. That's his plan. But if I just wanted to build a big church that wasn't, wasn't a church built on right foundations, right principles, really people coming to know Jesus and being discipled, the kind of people that were praying here last night. We had a great prayer time here last night, a church built on prayer. If I just wanted to build a mega church, you know what I'd do? I'd just fill it with sermons on how if you do these four things or those six things or those five things, then Jesus will bless you and you'll experience heaven on earth. It's a message everywhere. It's the typical, resounding, evangelical message in America today. Now, there's a problem with it. This is the problem. It's not true. It sells books. It fills churches but it's not true. 
And this is why, why it's such a problem, why it's so bothersome to me. Because such thinking leads a lot of really good-hearted Christian people to sadness and to doubt and to depression because they're not, their lives are not all flowers and sunshine. And so they believe something must be wrong with them or something must be wrong with God. And that's what they conclude. Because you're not, if, you just do the, if you just follow God's principles, it all works out perfect. Church, the reality is David lived his whole life surrounded by enemies. Repeatedly in the Psalms, he cries out to God because everything isn't going good. In fact, to him it seems like everything is going bad, and his friends have failed him, and God to him seems to be different. But church, I want you to understand, troubles and struggles are a normal part of life. Now, they may be the result of bad choices. If you choose to smoke three packs of unfiltered cigarettes a day, you just might get emphysema. You might cause and effect. But guess what? You just might get emphysema if you never smoked a cigarette in your life. But if you smoke three packs a day of unfiltered camels, you probably got a lot better. You do have a lot better chance. So there is cause and effect. But if you are a, are a Christian who is sincerely walking with Jesus like David sincerely walked with Jesus, then you need to understand that this sin-corrupted world is filled with problems and troubles, and we all experience them. Right? Right. You say, wow, they're depressing me today. <laughs> you know what I love about the scriptures? So oftentimes there's the word but written in the text. But. And we're going to look at a but in a minute from a text. But David also understood something else. That when problems come, there is a way the child of God deals with the situation so that their faith is strengthened and they come away better for having gone through the battle. David understood that troubles do come, but you can walk through them in a way so that your faith is strengthened. And you come away better for having gone through that problem with Jesus. You see, there's a pattern that we see repeated throughout the Psalms that reveals this. I want to look at just one example of it today. Grab your Bible. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 13. Psalm 13. Finding it? Bring your Bibles to church. You want to know why we don't put my main text up on the, on the screens? Because I want you to bring your Bible and learn how to use it. Okay? We're going to start putting more supporting texts up on the screens. We've been talking about it. I mean, I think we do. We plan. It's on purpose. But we're doing that. I still want you to be a person who grabs your Bible and looks at it. So when God speaks to you, you circle stuff and you jot it down. You know, my Bible's got all kinds of things always underlined in it and notes written in it because you know what i don't know about you maybe you're a lot your brains are a lot better than mine mine's now 50 year old brain i forget like 99 percent of everything i knew a week ago so sometimes i'll come and i'll read something and i'll go that's written in my writing i don't remember writing that 
It's in my Bible. I wrote that. I'm like, that's impossible. You know, I don't remember writing it. So you write stuff down. So Psalm chapter 13, real short Psalm. Let's look at it together. It says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. So far it's not seeming like uh, cotton candy and sunshine for David, is it? Right? Oh, man, David, if you just follow God's principles, everything goes good, David. David, if you just do what God says, just have Jesus and everything will be good. Well, he doesn't seem to say say that right now, does he? But verse 5, what's the first word? But. Say it real loud. But. 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 I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Look at what David does here. Verses 1 through 4, David expresses his troubles. His enemies are being exalted over him, and he feels like God has forgotten about him, and he cries out to God to give him some sense of understanding. Look what he says. Enlighten my eyes, God. He said, what's going on here? I don't understand. Church, understand, it is right and it is good to express your pain and your problems to God like David did here. In fact, that's the main place you should express your problems is to God. I'll give you a little advice. Don't spend a lot of time expressing your pain and your problems to everybody else, to too many other people. Because number one, they can't fix it. And number two, you do it long enough and just push them away. And they want to be around you. Take your problems to God. But listen. But. Say it again. But. But. Don't stop there. Don't stop with just expressing your sorrow and your frustration and living and wallowing in it. It's a human, natural human response to wallow in your problems. Look at what David does next. This will set some of you free. This will, give, this will empower some of you so that you won't feel bad when troubles come. You'll go, troubles come to everybody. But there's a way to deal with it as a child of God that if I deal with it this way, God will lead me forward. Something good will come out of it. You won't be afraid of troubles. You won't be afraid to say, oh, something bad happened. You'll say, yeah, it's happening, but God's doing something good as a result of it. Look what David does. You see his transition? Verses 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. He makes a transition here. And we need to make a transition when we're going through troubles. He says, but God. David moves past his problems to his solution. And he knows his solution is God. See, see, he knows that God is the one who can, remember from Psalm 23, set a table before him in the presence of his enemies. 
He can bless him in the midst of it. God is the one who can bless him and can help him in spite of his problems. God can bless him and help him even though his enemies are surrounding him and troubles are alive and well. God can be with him in the midst of it. So David turns from his problems to God. And I want you to notice how he does this. Because it's a pattern that you can repeat when you are in the middle of troubled times in your life in order for you to move um, right in the right direction toward God when you're facing difficulties. Look what he does in verses 5 and 6. David does four things. Two are based on the past. Notice that. We're going to point it out. Two are based on the past, and two are commitments of what he will do in the present. Let me explain. First, he looks at things of the past. First, he rehearses to God. He rehearses probably in his mind. He maybe rehearses out loud. He rehearses what he knows to be true about God from the past. He moves beyond feelings and confusion to fact. He says this about God. He has dealt bountifully with me. He makes a statement. He, it's in verse, uh, verse uh, 6, he has, the past tense, dealt bountifully with me. He has dealt. David looks back over the course of his life and across the years of God's activity. If you notice something, a repeated thing in David, that David does in Psalms, or all the Psalms do, Psalmists do, is they oftentimes, when they're looking, when they're, when they're trying to see what great things God has done, they talk about God's history to the people in the people of Israel. So David often just recounts all the good things God's done for the nation of Israel. So David looks across his life. He looks across God's activity in the people of God. He looks back and he builds a foundation of truth upon which he can stand. And he says this, God has been with me. God has been there in the past when I've looked for him. Once you are done telling God your problems, then begin to rehearse all the good things that he has done in the past. Build the foundation upon which to stand in the shaky times of troubles. Do it in three ways. First of all, rehearse the things you know he has done for you in your life in the past. Begin to look back at how he changed your life when he saved you. Remember what life used to be. You know, when you walk with God for a while, it's easy to forget where you came from. I came from a mess. You start to remember, God, what have you done in my life? You rehearse your salvation. Rehearse your healings. Rehearse in your mind the provisions that came from God. Rehearse from God the answers he gave you in the past. Begin to look back and remind yourself of all the things he's, all the way he's helped you in the past. That time that you didn't know how you were going to pay your bills. And suddenly an envelope came in the mail that you didn't expect, and it was exactly what you needed. Begin to rehearse those things. Build a foundation upon which to stand on that says you've been with me in the past. But then also move forward. Begin to rehearse the ways God has helped um, those people you know, those people around you, your friends and your family, people at church. Maybe you're sick, and he healed your friend in the past. Begin to rehearse that story. Begin to establish a fact foundation upon which you can say, say, hey, he healed Betty. He healed John. He healed Jim. He healed Mark. He healed Brett. Begin to say it. This is what he's done in the past. Build a foundation of truth, not of emotion. And then do it, do it another way. Then begin to rehearse what God has done um, that's recorded in the Bible and the Scriptures. 
See, God gave you his word for a reason, to reveal to us who he is and what he does and how he acts. So begin to say, God, you did it for David. God, you did it for Moses. God, you did it for Paul. God, look what you did to that woman caught in adultery, how you blessed her. You didn't judge her. You just said, go and sin no more. You didn't condemn her. Begin to rehearse what God did in the word of God. What you're doing is you're building a foundation of fact, not feeling. That's the first thing you begin to do. Then there's the second thing based on the past. The second thing is this. Again, based on the past, remind yourself of God's true character that's been already revealed. Look at verse 5. He says, I have trusted in your loving kindness. He says, I already have. I have trusted in your loving kindness. I have trusted. I have seen it to be true. You are loving toward me always. I've seen it, God. Church, God never changes. David looked to his character, the character of God, and he stood upon that. He may have felt, listen, here's the key. He may have felt like God had forgotten him. And isn't that what he says in Psalm 13? Where are you? He may have felt that God had forgotten him, but he knew that that was not true. He laments about it, but then he moves forward and he goes, but I know that's not true. He knew um, that his feelings could be wrong, but God is always loving God is always kind. God is always caring. That never changes. Church, God's love for you is a settled issue. He proved it on the cross by dying in your place so that you could be forgiven and set free and reconciled to him. In troubled times, remind yourself that God's love for you never changes. Troubles are not evidence, friends. Listen to me. For some of you need to get this. Troubles are not evidence of God's lack of love for you. They are evidence of Satan's reality and sin's effect. Why, when things go bad, people say, well, it was an act of God. No, it wasn't. It was an act of a sin-corrupted world and the devil. It's not an act of God when things go bad. Troubled times are are not evidence of God's lack of love for you. They are evidence of Satan's reality and sin's effect. So once you are done complaining, build a foundation of truth to stand upon to get you through the hard times. Number one, rehearse the good things that God has done in the past. Number two, remember God's true character. Well, that's the first two things David does in Psalm 13, but then he doesn't stop there. Then he, he commits to doing two things right now. So he bases it on the past. He looks back and he says, this is true, this is true. But then he says, I'm not just going to stand and say, that's true back then. But then he commits to doing two things now that will propel him forward. First is this. He says, I shall. It's present tense and future tense. I'm going to do this. He's not looking back anymore. Now he's saying, this is what I'm going to do. I shall rejoice in your salvation. Verse 5, I'm going to rejoice in your salvation. I shall rejoice in the fact that God is going to bring me through my current problem. Remember, he's talking about salvation in a sense right here. We're going to use it in two ways. But first of all, salvation in the fact that he's going to save him from his current problem. So I'm going to rejoice in the fact that you're going to save me out of this current problem. You did so before. When I look back, I saw it was true. And I know you're going to do it again. David said to rejoice in your salvation. In other words, 
celebrate in advance that God is going to see you through the difficult times that you are in right now. Stop looking at the dark time and start looking at the light at the end of the tunnel. Start looking forward to what God is going to do, knowing he will bring you through. And um, not only will God see you through this problem, this current problem, but once the problem is put into its proper eternal context, we'll realize that we've been saved from all these problems, temporary problems, because we have heaven as our hope. So you save us from the current problem, but also we put it in the right perspective. We recognize, rejoice in my salvation. My promise is heaven. Whatever happens in this earth doesn't really matter. God has something greater for me. Not only will he bring us through whatever temporary trouble we have, he will also bring us to eternal salvation, eternal life with him in heaven without sin's effects, a day with no more trouble. And he says, listen, friends, he says, rejoice in that, that that is your true future if you're a child of God. So he says, listen, rejoice in your salvation. Then he says one more thing that you should do now. Based on the foundation of fact, you rejoice in your salvation. And then he says to do something else. And Suzanne and the worship team are going to love this. Verse 6. He says, I will sing to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord. Now, sorry, I didn't have an R word for you there. You're writing them down. You got all R words so far? Rejoices in the text, so I couldn't use it for saying. So you're writing notes. You know what I'm talking about right now. So number four, I will sing to the Lord. Turn your problems into praise. What I mean by that, you don't say, oh, God, I'm so glad that I have cancer. You say, oh, God, I'm so glad that you are who you are in spite of my situation. You use the problem as a, as a thing that alerts you to the fact that you need to praise. Use the situation to push you into praise. Isaiah tells us to put on a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. When you praise God in the midst of a trouble, it may not eliminate the trouble, but it will break its control over you. That's what happens when you praise in the middle of a situation. You begin to break the control of the situation over your life. In praise, we experience the presence of God in the midst of the trial and find victory regardless of the outcome because we are connecting with God. And friends, when you find the peace of God through the presence of God in the midst of the struggle, That's the greatest victory you can ever gain on planet Earth. Because that's when the chains of the temporal world, of the earthly, have been broken and you are experiencing the eternal and the divine right now. You know who you become like when I was thinking of this? I was thinking of John the Revelator. When John begins the book of Revelation, he says the most amazing thing. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. We say, well, big deal. It was a big deal. They boiled him in oil and they couldn't kill him. So they banished him to a rock in the middle of the ocean for prisoners. And that's where he lived, eking out, basically starving on an island. And he's writing a book 
to all the churches and he says, I was in the presence of the Lord. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He lived in the middle of the worst trouble you could ever be in. And he says, but the trouble don't have me down. I am in God's presence. Right now I'm living with the divine, the eternal. In the midst of the problem. You are in, he's in the spirit of the Lord day, while banished to this rotten place. That's the greatest victory. Living in the reality of God's presence in the midst of troubles. Friends, that's overcoming the world. That's what overcoming the world is all about. You're living beyond it, above it, because God is with you. And that's something wonderful that results from troubles. You know one reason, the final reason why I don't like modern, the modern theology that says you just, just get Jesus and everything is sunshine and cotton candy? Because it would rob me of this. It rob you of this. To be in the midst of the storm and be at peace with Jesus because he's greater than it. And you recognize all of this is temporal. All of this is nothing. But I am with Jesus, connected to him. In that regard, then when you have Jesus, you have everything. Doesn't mean everything works out good. Doesn't mean life is all wonderful. Doesn't mean all your finances work out and all your sickness goes away. What it means is you got something better. You really have Jesus. He really has you in the midst of the problem. So the next time a problem arises, go ahead. Tell God about it. Whine and complain and say, where are you? And show me what's going on. It's normal and it's human. But then move forward. Rehearse the good God has already done. Remember God's unchanging character. Rejoice in your salvation, and sing praises to the Lord. That's how you move forward. It will show you how, it will cause you to triumph through your trials. They're all, we're all going to face them. Let's gain victory through them. Amen? Why don't you stand with me this morning? Let's look to the Lord in prayer as we close. Father, thank you so much for being honest to us through your word. Thank you for showing us that King David, he called out to you. He was frustrated. He was lonely. He was confused. He felt like you couldn't hear him. All those same things that we feel. Thank you that that's not, we're not faithless when that happens. We're not, we're not not with you when that happens. But thank you that we see this, this great illustration of how we move forward. Of how to be a, a person of triumph in our lives. Lord, help us to, to now do your word. It's one thing to hear it. You tell us to be a doer of it. Help us now, God, when we face trials, to do this, what you revealed to us through your word, so that you'll be glorified. God, only you know what anybody in this place is going through. 
Only you know. But Lord, I know this. There just may be some people going through some serious troubles right now. And we pray, God, help each and every one to move forward through the trial. Through the trial. Let your spirit overwhelm them this morning and lead them into a life of victory through trial. Victory in trial. And then God, we do pray. We pray, take the trials away, heal the sickness, provide for the lack, restore the brokenness. We know you can do it all. But also, God, give us the grace to walk through what we need to walk through because you want to make us better. Don't rob us of our opportunities to grow. Don't let us rob us of the opportunities to grow so that we can really experience you in spirit and in truth. So, Lord, bless this church family. Help us to walk through adversity in a way that makes us better. Maybe you're here today and you are walking through problems and you do need prayer. In just a moment, I'll invite you to come and find a place to prayer to pray. We'll gladly pray with you. When you feel dismissed, though, by the Holy Spirit, please quietly make your way out of the sanctuary. Go and have a great day with Jesus. Celebrate His goodness. Be a person of praise. But don't do that till you feel dismissed by the Holy Spirit. God bless you, friends. So good to see you. Have a wonderful day in Jesus.